Welcome into the OVC Extra Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Schwartz, Assistant Commissioner for Strategic Communications at the Ohio Valley Conference. If you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can find us wherever you download your podcasts with complete information at ovcsports.com slash podcasts. This is part two of my conversation with former OVC Commissioner Jim Delaney. If you didn't get a chance to hear the first part, make sure you take the time and listen before you proceed with this episode. We are picking up our conversation and talking about his time on the NCAA Men's Basketball Committee. Now, Jim Delaney. All right, so you mentioned the Men's Basketball Committee, and I, I was curious about that. Today, the Men's Basketball Committee, with, with the media and, and social media and everything, a lot of scrutiny, and they try to be very transparent. But what in your time, what was it like being on the committee then? How, how do you maybe think it is different than what people see today? Well, you know, the, we didn't have social media, but, you know, it was – Let's put it this way. When I was on that basketball committee and I would come home and I would be flying into airports, people know who you, who you were. It was big. And it was recognized and it was CBS National. And if you were on it, it was, a, it was an honor. And it was a pretty uh, uh, great assignment. And, you know, before me, Vic Bubis had chaired it. Dave Gavitt had chaired it. Wayne Duke had chaired it. Tom Jernstead, who was my good friend, passed away a couple of years ago, was a chief staff person and, and really considered to be the godfather of the Final Four. He really grew it. So it was, it was a passion of mine as a player. I followed it carefully. I got on the committee. I had a great six years and then was elected, I think it was uh, in 88, 87 or 88, I was elected chairman for um, 80. 89, 90, 90, 91. Was it harder, you know, today every single game is streamed somewhere. Was it harder back then on maybe some teams that didn't have as much, uh, as many games on TV? Uh, yeah, I would say so. You know, the resume, uh, who you beat, where you beat, they have so much data. It's the, the eye test is there to some extent. And, and yet the resume then and the resume now, because there's so many data points, you know, you're, you're, they're playing 32 games then, maybe playing 36 now. There's so much competition among and between middle majors, upper majors, that kind of thing. And because they, while we had data, it wasn't refined the way it's become refined we had a lot of data probably wasn't organized as well. It is today and probably wasn't, you know, looked at it with the same data uh, analytics and data expertise and mathematical expertise and the algorithms, but it was the beginning of it. We had it for sure. Um, and we had basketball people on it and we had results and we knew what your record was home and away. We knew what your record was against top 50. We knew, um, we knew what your record was against top. Yeah, so we had all of that data, had the analytics, and we had um, the 64-team tournament, which had popped in starting around 85 or 86. So we had, you know, 30, I think 32 and 32 or 28 and 30, whatever it was. But it was virtually a three-week tournament and with, with the same kind of seating uh, and the same kind of regional balance that exists today. It was a mod- it was the modern tournament. 
And this might not be a fair question, but would you think it's easier for a mid-major to get into the tournament like in 87, 88? And OVC did obviously in 87. Or now in 2019, the OVC had two teams in. Or is it the same? I, I don't know if it's, if there is a you, you, you know, I, 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 would be, I would be going on uh, feelings or speculation. Um, same field size. Maybe a couple more access points in terms of automatic. You know, if you're good enough, I mean, the Missouri Valley, multiple bids. Um, Atlantic 10, multiple bids. Um, that, that's a good question. You know, you'd have to, like, look at a period of time. You know, I would say if you looked at 80 seven to 97 and then compared that to you know maybe 2012 to 2022 to see what that showed and i'd be guessing but i think there might be more access now but it all depends on where the cut line is yeah for what you consider to be uh an uh an, a mid-major I mean, we had more majors around at the time. You know, we had, we had the Southwest Conference, the Big Eight, the Big Ten, the SEC, the Big East, the Pac-12. We probably had 10 or 12 of what you would consider to be major conferences. And I don't think you'd say that now. People talk about six or five or four. So it all depends on like where you have conferences ranked, where you draw that line as to what's a major and what's a not. Uh, I, 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 I'm not sure. You mentioned uh, women's athletics, and this is the 50th anniversary of Title IX, so I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this. You know, during your time, right before you came, the OVC added some sports, and, and during your time, it went to another level. So and during your time at the OVC and compared to the rest of your career, just what have you seen from you know, how women's athletics have taken off to where we are in, you know, in 2022? Well, you know, when I was working in the OVC, and, and, and if you looked at college athletics generally, you know, there, even though the, the, the law had been in effect since 72, and then there was some movement in the late 70s with there's a, there was a big decision called Grove, Grove Park or Grove City. And people weren't doing much in the early 80s, including the OVC. We tried to emphasize number of teams or championships, but uh, I, I don't even know what the numbers were, but my guess would be it was probably 75, 25 in participation. We had a long way to go. That's where it was in the Big Ten when I arrived, and we moved it um, over a decade from 75, 25 to almost 50, 50. And, and it, it was a concerted action, but we did not have that. And I would be speculating, but we weren't anywhere near 50, 50. Um, but athletes were good. You know, we had players, uh, we had good competition. Um, we didn't have TV, but heck, we, we only had the NCAA TV in football, which was a couple of games every year if we were lucky. And then, you know, when we supported that uh, on the men's side, it was Herculean to even get that on. And that was probably no more than 
10 or 11 and it only lasted for about five years before it went away. And I'm going to ask one more OVC specific question. Then we're going to kind of transition to your life after the OVC. But, um, you know, you were here, you, you mentioned the 40th anniversary. You were here. I was looking through the 40th anniversary book and there was a letter from you in there and you talked about all the good people that you got to work with. And you've mentioned a lot of names, but you talked about the community and how everybody was sort of on the same page. I don't know if you could expand to our listeners on that. Like you, what, what you remember most about what made the OVC special during your time. Well, first of all, there was a lot of pride here. This is a conference that's been around, um, you know, while Western and Mary and Eastern had periods of time um, like Michigan, Ohio State, or others have had, the resort, there weren't tremendous resource gaps. And we shared what we had on an equal basis. And we competed like crazy the intensity of the rivalries eastern and western western and mary middle and tech p and i mean really good competition really fair competition and really intense competition so um i think a lot of our administrators went to these schools a lot of these administrators played at these schools a lot of these administrators were part of these communities and, and really, I mean, Roy Kidd may have been the best coach for many years in Tennessee or Kentucky at any level. And John Oldham, really good. You know, Jimmy Fikes, Frank Beamer, um, you know, Gene Cady at Western. He had a great career at Purdue. Clem Haskins. Not everybody was able to have the mobility to get out and part of that was because you know we we were a small regional conference and we were pretty good um i was fortunate but you know i had made a decision about the allocation of my time and where i would spend it and it ended up being kansas city uh, New York and TV, because quite honestly, when I arrived and when I left, there wasn't much change in the print coverage. And I never did like that. They had us culturally typecast mm. and no matter how well we did our business, um, we were the little brother. And I, I never personally accepted that. I didn't say anything about it because that doesn't serve you very well, but that's how I felt. Well, so you make the move to the big 10 and when I was uh, brainstorming some questions, uh, one thing I was curious about, you've mentioned there were some challenges, the OVC. So you go to a bigger conference with, with some more resources, but I'm sure there's challenges when you're at the big 10 too. How would you compare Like they're different challenges though, but what's that like going from, you know, the OVC to the big 10? Uh, well, much bigger stage, you know, OVC was a regional, a small region at that, Tennessee and Kentucky. You know, the Big Ten was in eight states then, had 60 million people in it, and we were the big brother. And we had been around since 1896. And, you know, we, we had probably 
well over 60,000 average attendance. You know, not a lot of TV. It was before the proliferation of TV. I think we had 66 football games, an average of about six and a half home games. But there were only maybe 16 telecasts my first year. Today, there's 95 games on home stadiums, 14 schools times whatever, seven. Mm -hmm. You know, every one of them is telecast nationally in one form or another. Uh, Great venues, great competition, historic, bigger stage, lots of big personalities, um, lots of keen competition, um, lots of sharing. Um, uh, uh, Resources were shared. Um, Still, presidents work with them, for them, work with everybody else. Um, Needed to focus energies. So we were, you know, into trying to achieve more equity. We had the resources, even though there was a recession. We try to manage the officiating. I had good people in those areas, but very high profile. Try to work with the coaches and listen, but I was the new kid on the block. My background was my background, which was uh, in, in the regulatory area and the standards area, somewhat in the TV area, but it was another whole level of complexity and of um, size, scale, scope on the TV area. So I, I tried to learn that, and understand that. We, we moved quickly on expansion. We brought Penn State in, maybe did it. It's a great addition, probably didn't execute on it very well, but you, again, you, you live and you learn. And we were criticized for that probably properly. But whenever you do expand, it's never easy. You know, we never contracted, so we added. We never lost anybody. And we grew, and we did more things on equity. We tried to be, you know, in, in the OVC, we organized the uh, University Commissioners Association. And so we had political power, one institution, one vote in the Big Ten. We expanded, tried to expand the CCA so everybody could be under one roof. We did that. And uh, we worked with the Pac-12, but also worked very hard to try to build relationships with the ACC, the SEC. Uh, we, 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 Roy and I immediately worked to create some bowl games. By the middle, later 90s, we, we worked to establish a, a Big Ten ACC challenge. So we were growing the competition, trying to create, you know, the best possible forms of compliance. Um, so I would say more resources, intense competition on a bigger stage. But, you know, the issues were the issues. They were the issues of standards compliance with the existing rule, leadership, technology, equity, and working for presidents and with others. And so, um, you know, I, I continue to gain experience, again, like the OBC, had a lot of opportunities to test the waters in other situations, but I found the OBC, it met a lot of my personal needs and also the areas that I wanted to contribute, I believed in that uh, experience. Uh, my dad played in college. My brother played in college. I played in college. My sisters didn't have a chance. 
you know, I, I didn't know that this is where I would go. Uh, and I was willing to change jobs. I changed jobs three times in the first six years. But every time I stayed a little longer. <laughs> My first job, I stayed, I think, six or nine months. Second job, six or nine months. Third job, four, four and a half years. Fourth job, 10. Last job, 31. So as I found satisfaction and things to do, I never really felt I was a great administrator or executive, but I thought I was pretty good at identifying trends, trying to get ahead of them, trying to ride them, and trying to manage projects. And I, I think that's, um, that's, that's what I did best. Uh, I, I could find other people to help me on administration or through delegation. And, you know, we had real resources in the Big Ten. So I had to be more of a generalist in the OVC. But in the Big Ten, I, I got a chance to put a team together. And then, of course, we created a, a, a network of 60 million homes. And we were the first to do it. And it was national and international. And so that really helped us build brand as well. And, you know, obviously what you talked about earlier on the FNL, the late night games for the OVC, you took a, a risk on that and it worked out. Obviously the same thing with the Big Ten Network. Yep. And, um, which I, now probably ever wasn't, I probably wasn't very smart. I'm possibly putting other people at risk, but we did vision it. We did sell it and get people to join on. And I think everybody felt good in both instances about what we're able to project because people, you know, leaders and participants, they really, I think, enjoyed getting out there, getting more recognition. I think it helped us in recruitment. And I think it just helped us in, in, a, in, a, in a general profile way. Well, now every literally every OVC men's basketball fall game and most Olympic sports are on ESPN plus, which in 1979, I would be, obviously there was no internet then, but unthought of, and you, you played a big part in doing that for other, for, for the big 10 and, and led to other things like that. I wanted to read you. I was reading an article, two quotes uh, that, uh, or a quote somebody said about you, Jim Delaney wasn't paid to be cuddly, but as a visionary revenue generator for the Big Ten, he's been a master. So uh, I thought that was funny. Uh, you weren't paid to be cuddly because you said it's not the commissioner. You're not always going to be popular when you're the commissioner. I think I think that's a fair. I think that's a fair description. I would just say generally, whether it was in the OVC, it's a uh, not as big a stage. But uh, it was a stage, Big Ten, really big stage. And I always respected, even though I didn't agree with the writer's priorities in terms of coverage, I always respected that they were doing what they thought was in the best interest of their newspaper. I just wasn't going to spend my time trying to persuade them we were somebody that they didn't think we were. And I thought by doing other things, we could raise profile. Likewise, in the Big Ten, not everybody agreed with what we did in, in, in certain areas, but the people who wrote about it, uh, critically or not, I always respected their point of view. My 
wife was a journalist, I was an investigator, I did my job. And for the most part, whatever, you know, the uh, characterization or the mosaic composite is, you know, I, I felt like I was dealt with fairly for a very long time by a lot of people in the area of journalism as, because we didn't live a, a real public life, um, but a lot of the things we did were public. And, and I always thought I got a fair shake. And I think that was, that's a fair description. You also said uh, no, no risk, no reward, no guts, no glory. So some of those decisions you made obviously uh, uh, were risk, but paid off. They did. And, 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 and there's, you get, there's an element of stupidity there because a lot of times people fear risk. Because if you're not successful and it's a big enough gamble, it could cost you. And I was lucky it didn't cost me. But that's what excited me, that if you had an idea and if you're working with people with or without resources, but if you could collectivize your resources, that to me was a, a differentiator on how we approached it because while I don't like jumping off buildings without a safety net. Most, most of what pops is a result of a little bit of vision, a little bit of teamwork, a little bit of buy-in, and a little bit of success. And I, I was excited about that, and I enjoyed that. And I, I also learned uh, as a member of a team at North Carolina, sometimes I did employ Sometimes I played a little bit more, but when teams are successful, there's plenty of credit for everybody. And when they're not successful, you know, you have to have broad enough, tough enough, thick enough skin and broad enough shoulders to deal with it. I, I like that. I think we need to put that up uh, a quote here in the office. You've been very generous with your time. Just a couple more questions. Um, when you announced your retirement and I think it became official on January 1st, 2020, looking back, that is probably the, the smartest decision ever considering what was going to come two months later when COVID hit. Am I right about that decision? Well, you know, it was right for me. I, I, I didn't have a crystal ball, but I'm not, I wasn't unaware of some of the things that might happen. I mean, I, I didn't foresee the tornado in Nashville on March 3rd. I didn't foresee COVID and I didn't foresee you know, a Supreme Court decision uh, that 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 did what it did. But uh, it was time for me. You know, I, I had uh, had opportunities to stay. I had opportunities to leave earlier. And I left when I thought it was the right time for me. And uh, I couldn't appreciate more. My colleagues in the Big Ten um, we had a chance to celebrate together. We had a chance to um, share uh, some stories. And um, we wouldn't have accomplished anything if there wasn't a culture of collaboration along with an intense culture of competition. But I, I tried to persuade them and I think I was successful at it because they were receptive to it, that you compete 
using football as an example, you compete like crazy on Saturday. And then you rest on Sunday and you start collaborating Monday through Friday till you compete again. And that that was, you know, and uh, it didn't happen overnight. But, you know, for you know 20 or 25 years, we were able to achieve that. And the presidential leadership, the collaboration among ADs, staff people, Fox partners, SEC, ACC, we did Pac-12, fun stuff together. And so for that, I feel, you know, um, reinforced on why, you know, I stayed where I stayed for as long as I stayed. I, it was it was great for me. And the OBC was the launch point for me. And I'll always be thankful for that. And you and your wife have moved back here to the Nashville area. So what was the decision behind that? Well, you know, Kitty's from Chattanooga. And, you know, she worked here and went to law school at Vanderbilt and worked for the Tennessee. And I liked it a lot and made many decisions over that 10-year period to reinvest. However, when the Big Ten calls, you know, if you don't, if you say you're interested in playing at the highest level, I don't care if you're a player at North Carolina or a person aspiring to be a commissioner and you don't do that, then you're not really serious about what you say. But it wasn't easy for her because she was practicing law. She had a young family and she was having to move to another part of the country. And so and she was a great first lady of the Big Ten and a great sports fan. And so when it was time to come back, we were I was comfortable here, but this was closer to her family, closer to a lot of her friends. And it was a pretty easy decision to come to a place we're both familiar with. But one, you know, I had already, you know, gotten her to move north. And it was really easy for us to make the decision to move back here. And I know you keep yourself busy with some different endeavors, but I know you like to hike. I know you uh, golf. So what do you do to keep, uh, keep busy? Well, you know, I started a company here and the Delaney Advisory. So I've got some clients around the country and it's a lot easier to give advice than it is to make decisions. It's not full-time, but it's, it's busy enough. You know, Kitty and I both play out at the golf club of Tennessee. We both have neighbors and like people in our community. We're over in the Richland area. We have some old friends we've reacquainted with. We've met a new community of friends and we watch with, you know, great interest and have friends that are still, you know, in the world of college sports. So we're, up to date, up to speed, very interested, and, um, you know, still working out, not climbing mountains, but, you know, working out and taking the dog to the dog park a couple of days of the week. Do you have a golf course that you haven't played that you want to, a bucket list? Oh. That's a great question. You know, I'm not a great golfer, but I've played many of the great golf courses in this country. Um, you know, I would like to get up and play some of the courses up in the Northeast that I'm familiar with, but really didn't play a lot. Um, and, and so I think that's a possibility. Um, you know, we, we're, we're members over at Old Chatham in North Carolina, and we have a place over there. And that's a, a favorite place of ours where we have, a, uh, you know, beginning some, um, some travel to Florida because our, our son and daughter-in-law having a child there. So we'll play some down there. Let's just say this. 
I don't deserve, based on my game, to be to to do anything more than what I've done, and I'll be happy. Um, you know, Kitty was the golfer, golf coach, very good player, and works at it. Uh, I love to play with fran- family and friends and trying to get better. But um, I wouldn't say golf bucket list. I've, I've had the good fortune of playing uh, in different places around the world, uh, some of the um, some of the great courses in this country, and and really enjoy it. And, um, but not not going to push my luck. <laughs> Well, again, thank you so much for your time and just appreciate all the insights looking back at, uh, at your career at the OVC before uh, uh, and then during the 40th anniversary. Now that we're at 75. So uh, thanks for that time and uh, best of luck in the rest of uh, your retirement. Great. Thanks. Uh, uh, best to everybody at the OVC. That concludes my two-part conversation with Jim Delaney. It was such a fun conversation to hear some of his great stories from his time as OVC commissioner. A funny side note, the desk he used when he left the OVC office is still here. Although it is old, it was very well made and it's in great shape. And I have actually used the desk since I came to the OVC in 2006. I've always found it cool that I use the desk that a legend in this profession used when his time in the OVC. Jim is the first of our three former OVC commissioners you will hear as part of our 75th anniversary podcast series. We are excited to have them all on, as well as other former coaches, players, and administrators. Remember to find us on your favorite podcast platform and like and subscribe to help us spread the word. You can also visit ovcsports.com slash podcast for information. Until next time, take care.